1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. And look, everyone, BetOnline, it's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. It's got you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. And don't forget, it is the best way to place your bets. And also, it's free to sign up. So what are you waiting for? Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device right now to sign up today and receive a 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's only at BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming into the pod today. I have a good friend that's returning to the show. He's WGN's Larry Hawley right now. This guy has got his pulse on all the great Chicago sports. Not just the stuff that's in the headlines, but the stuff that slips through the cracks that you might not realize or remember. Larry, thank you so much for coming on. How are you today?
0: I am wonderful. Thank you very much for having me back, and I hope you're well as well.
1: I'm doing well. I'm rooting for everyone in Chicago right now from L.A. about this warm weather that hopefully is probably right around the corner. Baseball is back. NFL draft is in about a week, so let's just dive right in. I do want to start with baseball just really quickly. A bit of an interesting weekend, a bit of an interesting day. We're taping this on a Monday. You know, the Cubs scored 13 runs, and as you mentioned, they gave up 13 runs the very next day. And then today in Boston, you know, the White Sox, they had a couple of position players out there on the mound. Just real quick, let's just characterize, how would you characterize the White Sox start to the season so far?
0: Well, it's been a bit uneven, just a bit. I I think they're fine. Personally, I think that the talent is incredible. As I spoke about when we talked the last time, just been a little bit uneven. You had a couple of those games in Anaheim that went against them where they had some late leads. You had the same thing happen at the end of the Kansas city series on that Sunday. Um, And then you saw it happen a little bit unusual on Saturday. That was more of a, you know, two seeing eye singles up the middle uh, off of Cody Hewer and then they drop it down the line for two runs there there's been a few things here and there that just rattle a bit because so much is expected out of this team, but I think they're fine. So I would say just a bit of an uneven start, but you've had incredible performances as well. I think even just this past week, the Giolito versus Bieber, that was a fantastic game. Again, that game goes against the White Sox. That's one that you know brings some disappointment. And then you have Carlos Rodon with an incredible moment. You want to talk about a story. What a story for him. I even put up the news release of the day that he was uh, essentially let go on December 2nd of 2020. And here he is throwing a no-hitter and was two outs away from a perfect game. So maybe for the White Sox, just a hair uneven, but to have no concern. The team still looks really, they're going to look really good. They're just kind of ironing things out a bit as they get down there. As for the Cubs, maybe a little bit more concern. Everybody was afraid about the hitting. You mentioned Saturday. That was a wonderful day outside of Saturday. It's been once again, a little bit slow, the runners in scoring position. They've not been driving them across again, outside of Saturday. So there's a little bit more concern there, even though the white Sox and the Cubs records are very similar, more concern for the Cubs, because again, you're not seeing that upside. You're seeing guys who have had their upside and we're hoping to return to those baseball card numbers not really working as much so far. Again, we've seen bursts. So again, South side just uneven just because the expectations for a little bit more concern on the North side, especially after the Sunday night game on national TV where they frankly didn't look very good and their ace didn't look very good.
1: Yeah. Let's bounce it back to the white Sox real quick, because I'm in total agreement with you. You mentioned kind of ironing things out a little bit. I'm seeing that a lot too, as well for an eight, nine ball club. They haven't been boring. This is not a boring. No, no. Uh, this is not a boring five hundred ball club. I think there's a little bit that we can get excited about, and a little bit that we can also, as a fan, seventeen games through. I don't know if it's the modern era. I don't know if it's social media right now. I just feel like both sides of town, the fan bases. I don't want to say more locked in than normal, but maybe just more on edge and just ready to pounce on what is, you know, what is going up and w- which way is pointing down with these particular ball clubs right now. And yeah, you know, with that, in terms of that bullpen, I'm with you, you know, you see those arms coming out of that bullpen and the stuff is there. I think we all know that that bullpen is elite. Now they've had some bumpy outings and I think it's kind of, it's kind of really affected how they've gone along. I do want to ask you, cause we did have you on the, on the pod before the season started. We talked a little bit about Tony LaRussa. You were excited to see him out there only 17 games. I want to ask you from a fan's perspective, how do you think White Sox fans are handling Tony LaRussa so far through 17 games because I'm starting to notice some trends a little bit right now. And I, I personally think that they kind of need to back off the guy. What's your opinion on Tony LaRussa so far?
0: again, we talked about it being the compelling notion of what what is he going to do? How is he going to sort of evolve in today's game? I mean, obviously 10 years, changes are made. So there's been up and downs from the fan perspective. There are some questions which you, you kind of expected. Uh, you you know, I remember uh, especially going back to the Angels series, there were some asking of, hey, well, why is Hendricks in this situation? And, you know, those things have come up. I think that there's still, you know, there's some lineup stuff that people have seen that they really haven't understood it's kind of about what i thought you know you know there was a lot of skepticism with the larusa hire again nothing taking away from what he has done in his past i've said before if he wins a world series with the white Sox, it's going to be very hard to argue he's not the greatest manager of all time you're going to have a real hard time really trying to argue that but the fan reaction has been been up and down you know the same things you see with lineups how you're using pitchers it's been up and down so it's the feeling out process that i've thought the team has seemed to accept him very well it seems like spring training went about as well as it could there was I think good dialogue it seems like from what I've seen from between the players and between La Russa, as they try to learn him and, and as obviously he learns them as well so I think from that perspective from a team perspective that's been very good so far I think from a fan perspective there's still they're not giving him the benefit of the doubt. You're ready
1: to pounce, right? I mean, yeah, if i ready to
0: pounce, that's a very good way to put it. Yeah. Know, we, very, we
1: really, we good. like, maybe me and you can, you know, after this pod, come up with different ways. Cause if I have to hear one more time a White Sox fan call Tony LaRusso like asleep at the wheel or, or some sort of napping old person, ageist reference, uh, we're only 17 games in. I already might start losing my mind. And look, and to be very fair, I haven't really seen any of those. Hall of Fame moves, the the hall of fame blueprints of a manager imprinting on that team yet. But is it also fair to say that maybe that's a part of the style where you mentioned lineups, you mentioned bullpen decisions. Now's the time to make mistakes. Now's the time to learn people's limitations and where those roles are. And I think it's okay for those first 30, 40 games to kind of tinker and toy a little bit.
0: Yeah, and I expect that to happen. And remember, you know, he is back in the game for the first time in 10 years and learning a club that, you know, he is. This isn't like in St. Louis or, or Oakland or, you know, where he knew those guys, those guys for years, obviously he had transitions there, but this is totally different. He's, he's coming off a 10 year layoff and Larusa has shown the ability to have success. So these are the feeling out times. These are the feeling out things. And these happen pretty much anywhere. I mean, we can look back at the 2015 Cubs with Joe Madden. They were consistent to that first half of the year, but it was about August before they really started firing. Now, granted, there were some players who were making their debuts in the same thing, where you had a lot of young players, a lot of young potential finding itself. So for, for me, I, there just isn't any really – look, look, there there are, there are things you see guys have – you know, G. Leo had a bad outing today. Uh, the bullpens had its hiccups, especially after the eighth inning, because I think they've had four or five games now, where they were tied or leading entering the eighth, and they ended up taking a loss. There's things that you've seen that go here and there, but there's nothing that's like, I'm like, oh, my God, this is really bad. Oh my God, this is something that you're really going to get concerned about. You've seen some flashes of potential for some guys. Lance Lynn before he went on the IL was absolutely fantastic. Carlos Rodon has been fantastic. Uh, We'll get to him in a little bit, but your mean Mercedes has been a, uh, has been incredible. He's been one of the, probably (laughs) one of the stories of major league baseball so far. Jose Abreu off to a slow start, but you're really going to doubt him that much. This guy is one of the leaders on the team just off to a slow April start. There's nothing I look at and go, my God. This is going to change. This is going to change my outlook on the White Sox season. The potential is there. They are in a feeling-out process that might last a little bit, but I still believe come you know late July, August, September, and especially when they'll probably get Aloy Jimenez back. At that point, is almost like a September call-up or a trade. Uh, this club's going to be ready to compete for a World Series championship, and that thought has not changed.
1: Yeah, uh, and you're bringing up Aloy. I was about to hop into that right now because when we talked previously, we were, our expectations, I think, were 95 to 100 wins for the season for this White Sox. We had that high of expectations. And I personally, I, I got a little bit more dramatic, I think, when Aloy went down personally. I just think it's really hard to replace 90 runs batted in in your lineup. I mean, there's just no way around it. You can, you know, piece it together and cobble together. You could trade for someone in a couple months, but it was going to be difficult. And I think so far, The results have been pretty – I think I've been kind of soothed a little bit on, on that high end of concern where they are able to kind of tinker a little bit. You know, Andrew Vaughn's hitting a buck whatever, but he's drawing his walks. I think the bats are pretty professional right now. Adam Eaton's off to a pretty decent start, and we are going to get to Mercedes in one second. I do want to ask you a question. I'm kind of trucking this around town a little bit, and I want to ask you your opinion on it where you talked about the lineup. And we've already seen it happen where they started Mankata at the cleanup spot, and they've already flipped him with the Brayu, and they're kind of moving. And then the, uh, uh, every other day, Robert's sometimes second, sometimes seventh or whatever. Is Tim Anderson our three-hitter this year? And the only reason I'm asking that is, no, look, he's a leadoff man, and I keep telling everyone, again, caveat, strength on strength. You're kind of pulling from that strength a little bit. Mm-hmm. But is it at the time where he's at that point? Where now maybe Moncada's better off in that two hole where he sees those fastballs and can maybe work a walk. We can mix it and eat in a magical lead off and do all sorts of stuff. Is Tim Anderson ready for the big time? Could he hit in the middle of the order?
0: I mean, he could, I think he certainly got the potential to do that. He, he certainly show, has shown power. He's shown just about everything he can. As we said in our previous uh, conversation, he's ready to become one of the elite major league baseball. And you can make an argument that he's already there. It sure is hard to keep him out of that leadoff spot, though. You saw how much of an impact that he can have. Uh, he had the leadoff homer in Game One uh, against the Red Sox on Sunday, and that had a tremendous impact on the White Sox. They went on to win that game and then go on to win Game Two. It's hard to take him out of that role. I know he will go in and out of that. Could he hit third? Sure. I mean, are you looking at you know three Anderson, four Abreu, and five Mercedes? Uh, you know, that could be there. You know, do you see Mancada maybe dropping below those guys? You see Mancada above him. It would be really interesting to see. Maybe Nick Madrigal really establishes himself and maybe he can become a leadoff hitter. Then you can maybe do a, a Madrigal, Mancada. You could have Anderson there and then you could put a Braille in that and a Mercedes and that'd be a heck of a start uh, for those guys. You mentioned Andrew Vaughn, where, where will he end up doing? What, what could he end up doing? And you're going to have to eventually fit Aloy back in there, although you're, you're not going to probably do that until this, you know, pretty much the, the season is on that track. Could he serve that role? Absolutely. For me, because of what he brings from an energy perspective, from a speed perspective, keeping him in that top spot would be really incredible because, you know, you can do so much there. So you you think about it, you could go Anderson, Mankata, Abreu, Mercedes, Aloy. You could flip Aloy to four, put Mercedes there. There's some great potential here when you, when you go down the line. So there's hesitancy, because I, I like Tim Anderson in that leadoff spot. I really do believe he brings energy. Larusa mentioned it on Sunday, uh, the energy that he brings when he goes up there and, and he gets on base. It would be really great to do that. And you're also talking about a batting champion. So you got a batting champion to lead off. At, for me, it's kind of hard to take him out of that spot. But again, you can be flexible. And, and these are things I got to figure out.
1: Yeah, I'm enjoying the disagreement uh, because, you're, I mean, you're right. He is, if not the best leadoff hitter in the game. He is one of, and that makes that lineup elite. That makes that part of the lineup elite. And you're kind of pulling from that. And would he be the best three hitter in the game? No, he'd probably do a pretty good job. I think what I'm trying to get at is Mancada is not a cleanup hitter. And I think we have to make some sort of decision there along the lines of, I think he's a two hitter. And, uh, you know, I'm down with maybe seeing what he's like at the lower third. Maybe take some of that pressure off of him. I just personally don't think that he's that guy to either be protecting Abreu and or hitting in front of Abreu. You mentioned it yourself. Let's get into your main Mercedes, because maybe he is that cleanup hitter that we're both trying to solve right now. Just talk a little bit about and just help listeners kind of tap into what he has meant to Chicagoans and White Sox fans locally. I mean, the guy starts off with eight straight hits. He's got t-shirts. He's got burgers. I mean, just talk to about the effect that he's had on the city so far.
0: And also he has a bat too, a bat that they're selling for your meat Mercedes uh, with his uh, historic start and a commercial that's voiced by Pat Hughes of all people. Like you wouldn't have thought, like if you can go find it, I think it's on Twitter or it's online. Wow. The- It'll make baseball. him it really makes him cross
1: it makes him cross party lines for you me and Mercedes. I, That's interesting. I, he's
0: doing it all right now. And he's probably, I, I don't know if I'm going on a limb by saying it. He's probably been the most positive story of the White Sox season so far, with Carlos rodone very, very, very close second. But Mercedes is that wonderful story we all like to hear. He was a guy who toiled in the minor leagues for years. He spoke about it soon after setting the record for start for the start at the plate. And he talked about his parents and his family being critical and keeping him and keeping his mind focused on still making the majors. And how he had thought about and the, the idea of quitting had come through. You know, he had been in the minors, I believe, for eight, nine years before he finally went ahead and made it to the major leagues. Now he didn't debut this year. He actually was called up for one game in 2020. He had one at bat, did not get a hit. So it wasn't his, technically his debut was last year. Yeah, I wish
1: we could forget that, right? Because the start is so romantic and it's like, it's movie style at this point. Yeah,
0: and it was, he was up very quickly. I remember he actually had, he took part in the pregame news conference to talk about what it meant to him to finally break through and do that. But he's not only done that with the eight straight hits, but he's continued to come up with with, with major hits. You know, the, the opening day home, or the excuse me, the home opening day homer that he had against the Royals. And what was a major moment for the White Sox as they finally welcomed fans back. They had to wait through a, way, a rain delay. So they have a great Mercedes homer after his great start. And then, of course, Lance Lynn shuts the door with 11 strikeouts in a complete game. Mercedes this weekend against the uh, Red Sox in game two. Uh, backs up Michael Kopech as he made his first uh, start in three years. Slams one off of the, it's not the monster. It's like the the wall, the green wall above center field, then knocks it off the tarp. And these are the moments that he's had. And he's been a guy there to provide some power when the White Sox really needed it, losing Aloy. And so it's all it's all been great so far. It's a great story. He was incredibly productive from the start. He's been incredibly productive ever since then. He's still hitting. He's still doing things great. It wasn't a one-week wonder. Uh, He's still got it going. So it's something very special, something that fans here in Chicago and really around Major League Baseball can latch on to. It's that typical story of a guy who works to get to the major leagues and is taking all advantage of that opportunity to which he's gotten
1: career i think 302 hitter in the minor leagues so no you know what i mean no schlub or anything like no, that. no no
0: no and it took it took time but he, yeah he's making most of it
1: and he he brings such a great energy to the team too he's a character there's yerminator t-shirts right now real quick are you familiar do you know what's on the yerman yerman mercedes burger i heard there's a burger in chicago
0: oh you know what i, I don't i heard about it i'm not 100 sure what's on it i've seen it I've how many how them.
1: many patties are we thinking here? Four or five patties no, stacked no, no. or
0: thinking, I thought the picture maybe one, maybe okay. two. I thought it was only one or maybe two. I think it was only one, at least from what I saw. I'd have to take another look at it. Yeah, uh, and, and, and
1: my and my favorite part about him too is you know, we've kind of we've seen a bit of this story before of, you know, guys come up and have a great couple first months, you know, we've even in a white Sox uniform, you know, we've seen Jeff Abbott in a small sample size be like, "Oh, well, he's going to lead the league in hitting next year and it never works out." What I love about Mercedes right now is his approach to the plate, honestly. He's not a guy that seems to be riding this hot streak right now of trying to jump pitchers early in counts or only looking for this one particular thing. The way that he takes breaking balls and off-speed stuff it just looks like that he belongs, and it looks like a guy that when there's a runner on second with two outs in the middle of August, he looks like that he can put a good swing on it and drive in a runner, and I think this has some staying power.
0: It does, and, I, if, and what an advantage it would be if the White Sox were able to, if he was able to keep that up, so you, you take care of, of that issue where you're adding some power with a loyal, and when he comes back, you, you may you may have your solution there at DH, uh, you know, I, I know Aloy has his stuff in the outfield. It's well documented, and it's all been there. And obviously, he was injured in the outfield, not only the time in spring training, but he had injuries even going back to 2019, where he injured his ankle. I remember going for a fly ball in April against Detroit at Guaranteed Rate Field. See, so just you know, it's a great story. He provides that power that they'll need for that DH position. And again gives them options in that lineup if they want to try some stuff you know you look at that when when Aloy comes back even not I me mean, even right now they've got a pretty dangerous start to that lineup and a lot of that has to do with the fact that Jermaine is playing some great baseball and it's a story that people have been able to grasp onto
1: let's get on the red line let's go north let's go to Addison real quick and look the cubs are 6 and 9 i think that there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that we can kind of poke at in terms of on the field. I just kind of want to ask you about the tone and the tenor, what's going on off the field Cubs fans wise, right? Like if the Cubs had like a, a psychiatric school with a therapist, all their sessions would be filled right now. Cause Cubs fans are really losing their mind. And on one hand, I mean, we've seen numbers that are historic, right? Like we literally have seen, um, a lineup hits 133 for the first 10 games. It hasn't happened in so-and-so. A team has this few hits in so many games. Haven't seen that in 120 years. You know, these are historical things that are happening right now. So are Cubs fans justified in how they feel right now? Or is this just kind of a really complicated situation of just watching a collection of your heroes sort of fail out of the gate and we sort of see the end of the road coming for this group?
0: it's justified because obviously the big what's been the biggest question with the Cubs really even dating back to the last month of 2018 it's been their hitting and the inability for a lot of their core players to be able to hit consistently especially late in the season we saw it in 18 where the Brewers caught them I mean think about it the Cubs won 95 games without you Darvish with not much from Tyler Chatwood and their offense essentially dying the last month of the year in my mind this is kind of my always thought, and I told this to a lot of people, in my mind, the second great year for the Cubs was 18 and things didn't work out. That's the year they should have gone to the world series. Would they have been able to beat the Red Sox? I don't know, but that was the year in my mind. They were going to go back to the world series. Enough of my tangent. You have 2019, the offense again fades and they missed the playoffs last year in the 60 game season. It fades in the wild card series and they get one run off one and half Homer and get shut out and get tossed out of the playoffs. Now, I don't know if anybody was expecting the Cubs of 2020 to win the World Series, but when you're looking for something to restart that era and you get one run against the Marlins in 18 innings, there's concern there. Talked about the whole offseason and what do the Cubs do. They have a historically bad start. So there is some justification for that concern. This, you know, the, the Cubs are, and fairly saying it, that it is early in the season, and fairly saying it, they've had struggles before and gotten out of it, but you're running out of benefit of the doubt. You are running out of the narrative that we're going to wait for the baseball cub. cub me, baseball card numbers. I keep getting that with card and cub, and it all comes together. <laughs> but again, these are things that you've been waiting for—not just for a couple months. You're waiting for it now for a couple of years for this lineup to consistently deliver. So when they don't so, and do so, then don't do so at a historic level. You start getting worried. That's where you are right now with the Cubs. Again, outside of that Saturday game where they score 13 runs. It's been kind of a letdown. Now, now maybe to be fair, you know, Rizzo had two homers and the Cubs scratched across four runs on Sunday night, but it hasn't been there that consistently. Concern is warranted. Is perspective warranted? Absolutely. It's April. It's chilly. A lot of the Cubs games they played have been pretty cold. And, you know, they have heated up before. I remember 2019, horrible start in April, and really by mid-May they established the lead that they had in the division. But it is justified. It, It is justified to say it's only April and they have time. But what's happened over the past few seasons certainly justifies some concerns, as they have what has been at times a historically bad start to the season from a hitting perspective.
1: Yeah, and from a pitching perspective, Zach Davies, I don't think will have an 11 something ERA, you know, throughout the rest of the season. Hendricks won't pitch the way that he did yesterday and put them in a hole. I believe it was six nothing after the first inning. Yep. Even though the Cubs, to their credit, were able to claw a couple of runs back in that inning, and maybe sort of maybe give the specter that they were able to hang around. And look, you're right. I'm just starting to I'm getting reflective. I'm starting to get nostalgic because I know that this group, we keep saying it, this group's gonna get broken up, gonna get knocked apart. This Cubs team probably will look drastically, drastically different next season. So I'm just getting reflective and we're talking about it, right? They went in 16, 17 also, in my opinion, the national series, I think, is a real feather in their cap because that was that was like true. Like that was almost like Chicago Blackhawks hockey of a champion would not be denied. And they clawed back and they won that series. Unfortunately, they ran out of gas and the Dodgers beat them up pretty good. The next series, as you mentioned, in 18, the collapse in September 19, they lose nine games in a row in September. And then in 20 in Der- David Ross's first season, maybe, you know, a renewal, just same old stuff kind of coming back to me. I'm also watching with my wife right now. I'll tell you, Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've ever watched it, but we're re-watching it right now. And I'm four seasons in, and the show is amazing. And it's right at that point when everyone falls in love with the show, and the subsequent seasons afterwards, the more people love it, the more people want to criticize it and kind of try and poke holes in it. And now I'm going back a couple years later and being like, wow, this is a great ride. Are we going to be able to look back at this Cubs era and say, wow, what a great ride? I know we got the World Series title but it, are we going to be able to get over some of the angst that we feel now about Are, are is this the 85 bears type of situation or.
0: You know what? I'm actually going to be probably in the minority in saying this. I think you're going to remember it as one of the great eras of your sporting life here in Chicago because they won a world series. Yes. Let's not take that achievement away. Winning a world series, the franchise that did not do it for 108 years, the weight that that history had on clubs preceding it, we can go down the line 1969 84 oh three O3 to a degree 07 and 08 because those were two fantastic teams especially 08 that completely collapsed in the playoffs I think the Cubs led uh, i think in 17 they led for five innings and in 2008 and excuse me in 07 they led for what five innings yeah in 2008 they led for like three
1: Ted Lilly, yeah. Ted Lilly led the team in wins he didn't even get on the mound.
0: I mean, that's incredible. That's a history that's gone now. You sh- you shred that his- history in 2016. You remember 15, 16, and 17, where the Cubs arguably, you know, you could say were the best team in baseball in that era. I-, I think you could you could make a healthy argument for that. I think the Mets got hot and swept them. I actually thought the Cubs would actually beat the Mets, but I thought they might have a problem with Kansas City because they were coming and they mm-hmm. were there. And obviously Kansas City showed that to the Mets and beat them in five games but you can make the argument that those three years are three of the best in Cubs history. That won't get forgotten. I don't know because obviously we've mentioned the 85 bears and what happened there. Could that be like this? I just don't think so because the bears at that point snapped a 22 year championship drought. This cub team snapped a 108 year. (laughs) championship drive i'm not
1: good at math is that is that different (laughs) is there a difference there
0: (laughs) but it's history too it's so much different it's the history and the gloom that came the gloom that came after 1969 that came after 1984 the change in the franchise and the fans in 2003 after the game six disaster that was a franchise altering moment that those 10 minutes i think real time it was 10 minutes between the unfortunate very unfortunate play that happened with Alou and happened with Bartman which did not lose the game but the Cubs reaction to it was awful with you know Prior throwing the ball down you know throwing the ball at the backstop you know then giving up a couple of he gave up an 0-2 hit to Pudge the error by Gonzalez and obviously Farnsworth not being able to do anything against Mordecai these are all things that yeah, they, Derek
1: Lee had a backbreaker I think in that in that sequence so, too as well yeah
0: so after the error, he hit the first pitch from prior and tied the game. Mm-hmm. That changed Cub fans. That changed the thought of the franchise. We're not lovable losers anymore. It became, you know, sort of, there was angst there now. Now there was anticipation to win. Now there was pressure to win. As you saw that manifest in 2004, in a year where they actually won one more game but missed the playoffs, and things spiraled a little bit off the field. And then, unfortunately, in 2004, they lost a shot to have that year work but I think we will remember it fondly. You'll remember 15, 16, and 17 forever, and you won a World Series. Had they not won the World Series, let's just say Cleveland wins the series in six games, we're talking about a whole different thing, but a World Championship meant something, and it was impactful, and it was significant. So in my mind, a World Series championship softens a lot of that. Did the Cubs become the Midwest Yankees like they might have hoped? No, it didn't have not. It didn't quite happen. You know, it didn't quite happen. They didn't become that institution that won three or four World Series. They did not become, at least for right now. And there still is a little bit of time here. Was that? Was there a dynasty established? No, it didn't happen. They didn't. They weren't able to get that second championship or get to that second World Series. But to not to say now that we won't look back fondly on that. Absolutely not. You look fondly back on the '85 Bears. It just becomes a, a, a subject of angst now because the franchise has not won a championship since then and have had a number of significant missteps along the way. And that's where the angst comes from. But the thought of the era itself absolutely not. You still love the 85 Bears. You still admire what they did from 84 really through 88. And you take that for what it is.
1: You know, in terms of baseball in the city of Chicago, it's the best run that we've seen since the early nineties, White Sox. You know what I mean? And that's what we're, we're talking like 30 years here. So it's definitely significant. I'm just kind of trying to, I'm trying to enjoy the moment while also, you know, dealing with the same frustrations that I think a lot of Cubs fans are probably feeling. I just sort of feel like, in general, in Chicago, I think we're entering an era where I think 2005 to 2016 was perhaps maybe the greatest era of Chicago sports across the board that you'll ever see from a White Sox World Series to three Blackhawks Cups to, you know, the Derek Rose era to the Cubs winning the World Series to the Bears going to Super Bowl to U of I in the Final Four, Loyola. I mean, on and on and on. And I feel like we're walking out of that a little bit. And I, I just worry Chicago sports fans don't realize that we're just – we're maybe not in that era anymore. And I, you know, did the double doink do it? I don't know. I'm not willing to go there, but after 2016, it really finished up this amazing run of highly successful sports action in Chicago.
0: And I, it's interesting. You bring up the double doink. Now we'll get to the bears. In my, you know, my opinion, I think that that derailed this era. I think it caused them to focus way too much on the kicker in that off season and ignore some other things that they had to worry about. And it became a cloud that hung over them. Yes, they went back to the playoffs last year. That's the least anticipated playoff game I've ever been a part of, being a Bears fan, With, with good memories back to being about four years old when they made the NFC Championship, which would have been their first playoff appearance in that 80s run. And in my life, obviously, they made the playoffs in 79. I was not born yet. I think to a degree in my mind, I see the White Sox being sort of carrying the torch for that that they can carry the torch for this era. <clears throat> I hoped Illinois basketball would have done a little bit better this year. Fortunately, it didn't happen. They ran into Loyola. They ran into a bad matchup and didn't play well. And that didn't that didn't help them. I'm not necessarily saying it's over yet because the White Sox are supremely talented. And I very much expect them to compete for a World Series championship this year and would not be surprised if they won the World Series championship, even without Aloy and even with the adjustment to Tony La Russa. I think that there is that much there that they can do. It's hard for me to completely shut the door, but you, there is some sad you're, you're seeing now the Cubs era now beginning, I think to come to a close, I'm not saying they can't make a run, but the odds are that this day's pass, You kind of don't know yeah. about that.
1: A new chapter maybe is a way to kind of look at it. The you know, I, they're going to continue to try and be successful, but I think the cast of characters is going to change and it's just going to feel a little different.
0: It's, it's more to me, not necessarily representing. I don't necessarily know if I think about it from 05 to 16, I think of it as like an, an evolution. And I think that's where this is just a new evolution. So the Cubs are cycling down, the Bears are kind of cycling back out again, although they were really only in that mode of consciousness, you would say the Bears were really only there for 18 and probably the first half of 19 because that that fell so fast. The Bulls are kind of recycling back into consciousness again as there's a, a renewed excitement for a new front office. That's how bad the Bulls were and how things kind of slid following the 2015 season, whereas that a new front office brought a new level of energy and excitement. And I think Billy Donovan's coaching with the Bulls at times this year has been able to elevate a team that has, has a lot of holes and still needs to find a point guard. So I don't know if I necessarily view it as the closing of a door from 1505 through 2016, 17. To me, it's just an evolution. We're cycling into something different and the Blackhawks now are kind of cycling. The Blackhawks are kind of caught in the middle because until the Kane, the Taves, the Keith, until they're done, in my mind, part of that destiny still lives just a little bit. They may fall into the Cubs category where depending upon how many they keep, you know, maybe there's some hope there. If the Cubs, let's just say, decide to keep Wilson uh, Rizzo and, and Baez. You know, maybe some part of that era which they had kind of lives on. But the Blackhawks certainly are cycling. They're on that teetering of cycling into that as well. So for me, it's more of a cycle, not necessarily the end of an era. It's more of the cycling of the end of an era of some teams with the beginning of others, with the Blackhawks being in the middle and then the Bears kind of being on that bottom end because you don't really know where they're quite
1: going. Obviously, there are some organizations in certain sports that manage to do it for decades upon decades, like the Green Bay Packers and other teams. But, you know, not every single sports organization gets that luxury. And yeah, you're right. Just sort of maybe seemed like that there was kind of a bit of a timing issue where every single year just sort of seemed like one of our squads was just kind of going for it on a really high end level. Let's take a quick break to talk about our brand new sponsor, Canon Sunglasses. Now, my sunglass history, it's a little checkered. I like to live a funky, fresh lifestyle, but I'm always breaking my sunglasses or I'm buying that $10 cheap pair and then losing them automatically. Well, no more, I say. It is time to make your outdoor experience better with Canon. Canon sunglasses are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity. They're made with Japanese optics that make your lenses clearer, lighter, stronger, and Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible Scratch, and let me tell you, these Canon sunglasses—they are absolutely perfect for the golf course. So use the exclusive code CanonCast15 at Canon.com to receive 15% off your first pair. That's right, CanonCast15. K-A-E-N-O-N C-A-S-T one five. Canon, clearly better let's take a quick break to talk about our brand new sponsor just live a trusted source for high quality wellness cbd products created by athletes just for you now look during this crazy time maybe you're trying to get more sleep maybe you're trying to work on your energy you're trying to protect your immune system that's why just live came out with their brand new cbd gummy line they have six different flavors sleep energy focus immunity calm and vitamin c they're vegan and low sugar plus they're founded by professional athletes clay thompson alex morgan travis Pastrana, and paul rodriguez because they wanted to create a cbd product that they could trust and they could stand behind it is finally here so if you need support with sleep focus energy stress or immune health i highly recommend giving these a try and right now if you buy one of their new gummy products you get one free that's right there are six different benefits to choose from instead of just choosing one visit justlive.com and use code support to buy one get one free that's right buy one get one free of the new gummies in line with the code support at justlive.com now back to the pod let's throw this one at you real quick um, you know, who do you want to see in the playoffs more? You just mentioned them. Who would you rather watch in a playoff game right now, the Chicago Bulls or the Chicago Blackhawks?
0: That's a really good question. I, I, when you presented this, I kind of debated it in my head. I think the team with the best chance to make the playoffs is probably the Bulls. I say that only because they have a better chance to make it into that play-in series of two extra spots. If that play-in series didn't exist, I would probably go with the Blackhawks. To be fair with you, I'd kind of rather see the Blackhawks. I'm really curious. To st- I, I, It's really kind of in the middle for me because both teams are kind of in the same place, right? They're they're trying to rebuild and trying to figure out how they're going to position themselves in the future. I'm curious. And, and to
1: st- if, I, if I may very quickly, sure. in the same spot where about three weeks ago, you were looking at both of these squads and the Blackhawks were playing good hockey. They had a hold on the fourth seed. The Nashville had not gotten hot yet, and the Bulls were kind of sort of teetering in that 19 and 23 area, maybe 500 yeah. and trading for Vooch. And subsequently, these weeks afterwards, the schedules kind of really came back and in bit into inexperienced teams in the butt. And now they're both kind of really struggling a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's tough because I think about which team do I really want to see from, you know, to be honest with you, it's probably even. I I don't know if you're a bull. Let me, let me preface this by saying this. If the bulls still had their number one pick their first overall selection. Now they still have it. If they get in that top four, they've still Mm -hmm. got it. So it's not like, Oh, if they miss the playoffs, you you trade them for nothing. You still have the odds. And if you do what you did last year, Hey, you're in, I think for me, Personally, I'd like to see what the Blackhawks could do this team with some of this youth against the against the what would be the defending cup champions stem uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. I'd be really curious to see what they do. This is a club that's trying to bring up younger talent, trying to get experience with younger talent. I would be really curious to see what that group would do when they get into a playoff series. Could they go in there and could they have something for Tampa Bay this year, they obviously didn't have anything the first two games when they played in Chicago, they had something, they were able to sneak out a win and they were competitive for the first two games in the first period. And then in the third period of that third game, Tampa really turned it on against them when they went up three, nothing from, from a curiosity perspective, I guess I just like to see what that Blackhawk group could do if they made the playoffs for the bulls. I don't know if we see the bulls group we're going to see yet. Vooch is in, I think Levine is probably there for long-term. Uh, it would be cool to see Daniel Tice come back because I think he's a really exciting defensive player. I would love to see him if they can bring him back. Uh, that Perfect would
1: be an energy guy off the bench.
0: Yep, it would. And, you know, and obviously Patrick Williams is going through his rookie year, so he's. You know, as even Donovan talked about the other day, he's just trying to learn the the ways of a professional player. So you see Patrick. I think you probably see Levine. You certainly see Vucevic, and, and there's kind of a little bit of the core of the team you have there. Uh, Markkanen, I, I don't know what's going to become of him, where, where you're going to go for there. Uh, Kobe White's having a lot of growing pains. He had a nice game when he was inserted back in the starting lineup uh, a couple of days ago against Memphis, but he's kind of finding his way. I don't think the Bulls team is really complete or near complete yet. There's moves to be made. They don't have a point guard yet. So I, to me, it's incomplete until the Bulls establish a point guard they think they can lead the way. The Bulls are incomplete in my mind until they reach that guy. Had they gotten Lonzo Ball at the trade deadline and been able to ship Mark and out to do that, that would have been pretty good to do. But in my mind right now, the Bulls are still, they're not as complete. And the Blackhawks may not be complete either, but there's more there I'd be curious to see with the group to see how they'd handle a playoff series. Uh, how will some of a, lot of, a lot of younger players, how will they handle that? How will the goalies handle it? Uh, Kevin Lankanen, how Malcolm Subban. I mean, I assume he, he you know, both of them have, have had their shining moments here as they try to, you know, really establish a firm number one goalie going forward. Lankanen has that right now. I But there, there's more curiosity there with the Blackhawks to see how they would do it. Because in my mind at this moment, the Bulls are not yet complete in the building that that AK and Eversley have. So I think right now I would probably vote to see the Hawks in there, but it's very, very, very close because it would be cool to see a guy like Levine, who has really tried to do what he can to develop himself into a winner, let him go to get a run in the, you know, in the playing game, obviously, before we even get to the playoffs. For me, it would be Blackhawks just for those reasons that I would like to see what a team maybe a little bit closer to making a run could do.
1: I'm in agreement with you. It's kind of all pure entertainment value at this point because I just think both of these teams – are still young and inexperienced, and I thought that they played pretty well, but over the course of a season, the flaws kind of get magnified a little bit more as you move into it. I just want to see Kaner in a playoff series as much as I would love to see, you know, Zach Levine, as you mentioned, dropped 42 points in a game two loss in a playoff game. I would rather see Kaner and the boys and, you know, you've got guys like Boakfist and you got uh, Kirby Doc and all these other young players on the team. I want to see them get a little taste of that playoff hockey and for me, I think is just such an interesting X factor in terms of the future of the franchise. You know, Connor Delia was supposed to be the guy moving coming into the year. I do like Malcolm Subban too, but Lankanen was kind of the guy that sort of turned into the starter. Now you kind of progress and you're asking yourself, is he a long-term option? He's a 27 year old goalie who's kind of banged around a little bit. Can he be the guy that can be the answer for us the next couple of years? If we do want to take a swing at it and the Hawks cap situation gets a little bit more in control, for the Bulls, you know, it's almost like they were playing so tight. It was almost like a, watching a high school team with Billy Donovan and the way that they were running their uh, you know, their motion with the handoff screen action and yeah. it just kept rolling and, and passing the ball. And then Vooch came in, and it was like they couldn't play together all of a sudden. The, 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 the unit was almost too tight. And Vooch is a great player, but it kind of threw him off. It's almost like they need an offseason to just kind of, like, get their cast of characters in, some new pieces. I hope they do keep Thad Young. Markkinen, I'm I'm a no on just because I think the money, I think someone out there will offer him that 70, 75 million that I don't think that he's worth. And unfortunately, I just don't think Markkinen is, is an effective player and maybe he can help out a playoff team, but we're not a playoff team. We're just in a different point in, in time in terms of the maturation of that squad. So I'm probably in agreement with you on that. I would probably rather see Blackhawks hockey, even if it is against Tampa Bay, because, man, Tampa Bay's... Giving him a hard time this year, for sure. And
0: that's the thing, and that's the thing with Lankan. And I, I, I want to see you know, who's their number one goalie. If he's going to be your number one goalie going forward, and obviously he's established himself at that point, now the time to know what he can do in the playoffs, and that and that could really help. And I just again, the, the Bulls are just they're incomplete. They need they need more. They need to get chemistry. They make the playoffs. They win the two. They win two games. Get in. Super. You know they they can benefit. But I I I think the experience really would help the Hawks because they're closer to being more complete.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm watching the games. If the Bulls get in, you know what I mean? I I just think that, uh, you know, potential and probably entertainment value. I think the Blackhawks might bring a little bit more of a competitive effort. Last one. We got to do it. We got to go to House Hall right now. They're working day and night. They're watching film. They're talking to teams. The Chicago Bears, the NFL draft coming up Thursday, April 29th. They're picking at number 20 right now. Uh, what are you hearing? What are you believing um, in terms of this bears offseason, I think what is very fair to say across the board is you can't believe everything that you read. I personally believe that the Russell Wilson thing was real, but now I'm, you know, now, but the Carson Wentz thing was not, that was not real. That was not something that I think that the bears pursued the way that it was being reported. You're hearing rumors about them, maybe trading up with Dallas number 10. There's a lot of stuff going on. How high could they trade up? What was the capital, What are you hearing? What are you thinking? What would you like the the Bears to do at twenty?
0: The only quarterback I'd probably trade up to get if he somehow falls is Justin Fields. Mm. I like. I think he's a fantastic quarterback. That game against Clemson. Yeah, and he is. He's he's a you know like I said, intelligent player, dynamic player. Been there, done that. He's the guy, and and I I think if you can if somehow he's there at seven or eight, you think you might swing something. Super, go get him. I really hope and hope and hope that they stay at 20 and get a foundational piece on the offensive line and get a tackle. I really hope they do that. This cannot be Look, Pace had a shot as a a quarterback. I've talked about this conviction. It's wonderful. But when you miss, there are consequences. If I bet $2,000 on a game I have conviction about and lose, I deal with that consequence. And other guys, other teams had Trubisky there. They had Trubisky up there. We know that now. We know that that was there and people ranked him high. The Bears took the chance on him. They took the chance doing so knowing they probably had a coaching staff was in their last year, but they had conviction on him. It didn't work out. And in the process really turned the franchise into a really difficult place where now you're looking at Andy Dalton having to come in here and really try to find the second leg of his career and doing so with. A coach that's on the hot seat, a general manager who's on the hot seat, and still some holes to fill on offense. The Bears need to think globally with this draft. Unless you're going up to get a, to get a, to get a fields, unless you're trading down to get a couple of first round picks, you really need to think there an offensive tackle. Build the team. You want to get a, a solid cornerback? I wouldn't be against that either.
1: Yeah, Greg Newsom from Northwestern is the is the flavor of the week right now going to the Bears at 20.
0: And he was a fantastic pick and he had a fantastic year at Northwestern. And as Northwestern had a fantastic year overall. and he was great. He was fantastic. If he's there, I keep saying fantastic, but but he was. He's hey, really good. Yeah. If he's still there, uh, maybe you think about it. Uh Slater, offensive tackle for Northwestern, fantastic. They yeah, love the word. I guess that's my word of thing.
1: That's the defense.
0: <clears throat> if they could do that, but I, that would be great. I think it would be wonderful, but you've got to think foundationally here. You don't want to trade your number 10. You don't want to trade your number 20 pick to go up and try to get somebody at 10. You don't want to do anything crazy like that. I, I think I told you I was kind of against the Wilson deal. If you're going to mortgage that much of the franchise, give up a Roquan Smith. We probably that's the level of a player you can do it. Now, granted, you can get middle linebackers sometimes a little bit easier, but right now, you're looking at young guys in the Bears. You feel really good about and Roquan's there, and he's you know one of the top guys. I, I just think, in my personal opinion, I, I think they should stay put. Think globally with this pick. Get yourself a bona fide tackle that you can. You can help either build an offensive line or add to an offensive line that admittedly look a little bit better last year toward the end as they were starting to, you know, get themselves kind of back in order. That's where I'm going with this pick. You want to get a quarterback, get this person in the second or third round. You've got to think globally and solidly about helping to establish your foundation for a franchise moving forward, not taking a flyer on someone you just don't know.
1: Larry, it's a great perspective, man. And I I would like, I would like to call it conviction with boundaries. Now you mentioned, you know, seven or eight or 10, the rule with this is going to be, if they trade up, you cannot trade first round future draft capital. You can't do it off the board. Not an option for me personally this year. Now, if you stay at 20, And you want to maybe even get back into that first round. You're like, Hey, I want to get that offensive lineman. And maybe I want either the quarterback or a wide receiver. Great. No future first round capital. That is a rule for me. And it's a hard, fast, steadfast rule. And I'm in agreement with you with the offensive line, because I think that the modern NFL is changing a little bit. We see it in the NBA all the time. And I think it's about, we have to create a culture in a situation that is going to attract the franchise quarterback. I'm sort of giving up on, we're going to find the franchise quarterback, but if you get that offensive lineman, you make, you know, you go through this next year with Andy Dalton, but you walk out of that year being like, wow, we have a young athletic, deep offensive line. Now, all of a sudden, I think franchise quarterbacks are going to be more interested in maybe coming in and playing in our situation. And we still have our first round draft capital to burn just a follow up in terms of, the background and the history that we've talked about with Ryan Pace, Trey Lance terrifies you.
0: Well, he's, you know, he's a guy who's proven himself and, and he has incredible ability. We've, you've seen it there. I I've heard both sides of Trey Lance. There's part of me that really thinks that he could be something special uh, on the next level. I've heard Steve McNair, you know, Mm. that's awesome. I mean, that's awesome. You're, you're talking about a guy who, you know, helped to revitalize a franchise there uh, in Houston. And then of course, uh, when they, when they moved to Tennessee, there, there's risk at the same time. You just, again, it's always a guessing game. You, it always is a guessing game. The problem with me and, and I don't know, you know, I look, I, I always try to have faith in people, but Ryan Pace was trusted to make a major pick for the franchise, a, a pick that would influence the franchise for at least five years, if not more. And he missed, you know, he had a chance for Deshaun Watson. He had a chance for Patrick Mahomes. He didn't take it. And it it
1: influenced the organization for five years in a way that's, you know, that has not been uh, fruitful. I would say at this point now,
0: if they get Trey Lance, if somehow like he were to fall to them and, or they trade up or get two picks. Wow. Fantastic. That's great. He's got great ability, but at this point, I don't know if I'm secure outside of Justin Fields trading a lot for the future to go up and get that. I have conviction that I think the bears should take a tackle or if a elite cornerback is still there, then take then take that person. At this point, I, I Fields is it for me. If you're we want to go for a quarterback, you want to trade up. If Fields falls for some reason and he keeps falling, and you think he can do it, go get him. I, I, I'm I'm excluding Trevor Lawrence because the Jaguars are going to take him and nobody's going to trade out to get him right. unless some unless they offer the Jaguars six number one picks. I mean, there's something like, you know, I don't, I think there's even a limit. How many hey, can don't put on. a,
1: don't put a limit on Ryan Pace's dreams. He can Yeah, but,
0: but, <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I'm Trevor Lawrence is gone. He's gone to the Jaguars yeah. with the first pick. That's why I'm saying fields. That's for me. That's it. Trey Lance, fantastic football player. I, I think he can be something special. We, I can say that about lots of, of guys Wilson at BYU. What, what, you know, he had a great pro day. You don't truly know. It, but the reason why I say Lawrence and the reason why I say fields and the reason why I said Watson back in 2017, because they, they, they have proven it on the biggest stage, the biggest stage, these are national, you know, cha- obviously in the playoff national championship implication games. And that's where, for me, that was the difference where I, when people are like, "Oh, well, which quarterback would you choose? I said Watson in 17 for so this year, if you can't get Trevor Lawrence, it's Justin Fields and that's it. And if you can't get him stay there, put a piece in your franchise that's going to be there for a couple of years.
1: WGN's Larry Hawley. Thank you so much for joining Believe in Betting Chicago today. Real quick, before you go, please just tell the listeners, you know, how they can follow you on Twitter and also give a shout out to your brew reviews. There's some of my favorite stuff out there. I love learning about all the new local and also exotic beers that are out there. Just tell the good people about how they can watch all your stuff.
0: Well, if you're looking for a balcony brew review, I actually have a Twitter suggestion I'm going to do for a brewery, uh, that was uh, given to me actually just a couple of weeks ago. So I found one of their beers, that's really unique. I've never had a beer like this. So tune in, it's either posted tomorrow or Wednesday. So you can find that at Twitter at Hawley Sports, H-A-W-L-E-Y Sports, all one word. On Instagram at L Hawley, H-A-W-L-E-Y, so L-H-A-W-L-E-Y 80, that's on Instagram. My Facebook is open, it's Larry Hawley. Uh, look for my picture with me and my nephew and uh also uh and that's pretty much where you can find me as far as social media for writing and all that wgntv.com backslash sports you can see all of my co-workers great work there dan roan lauren magera jared payton uh josh friedman rick Tarsitano. We, uh, we do great work there so we take pride in what we do you can find it there as well so wgntv.com slash sports
1: Larry, thank you so much, man. I'm always very thankful and grateful for the generosity of your time, and hopefully we can do it again soon.
0: And thank you for the generosity of you having me on the program. I appreciate it.
1: Always, man. Uh, This is Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Make sure you head on your mobile device to check that out, because it's free to sign up. You get 50% off your welcome bonus as well. Today's episode is also Brought to you by Just Live CBD and Canaan Sunglasses. It's a perfect combo. You might want to check it out. Thank you so much for listening to this pod. We got a couple more coming up this week as we're gearing up for the NFL draft and we're talking baseball. Thank you for listening to this one. Until then, be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. We will talk soon.
0: Thank you for listening to Believe.